So we're going to talk about discovery today. And um, one of the big things I think with discovery that's you know, kind of tough is that most people don't really get taught to do discovery. So if you're listening to this, you might have been given like a set of questions you know, to ask or like an upfront contract and that sort of thing. But, you know, oftentimes, you know, prospects will share all of these little nuggets in these calls. And it's a matter of like, what nuggets do we, you know, kind of find and go really deep into? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, my name is Jason Bay. Welcome to Blissful Prospecting. Uh, in this podcast, we talk to sales reps, sales experts, sales leaders, uh, with the goal of helping you turn complete strangers into paying customers. I'm super excited to talk about Marcus Chan's discovery framework. He's the president and founder at Vinley Consulting Group. He's also a good friend. And we're going to talk about three sort of things today. Uh, one is how to do what he calls pulling the thread to chunk down. Uh, what to do when people say things like, I need to run this by so-and-so decision maker. So, uh, you know, objections, that sort of thing, and how to handle typical stalls. So, uh, Marcus, dude, it's always good to jam with you, man. Oh, my man, this is one of my favorite topics of discovery, but also more importantly, turning complete cold strangers to hand you cold, hard cash and credit cards <laughs> and POs after the call or also throughout the whole process. So I'm excited to be here, brother. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So how did you, how did you learn how to do discovery? What was that process like? Did you have a good manager teach you how to do this? Did you have to figure it out yourself? What was this process like learning for you as a rookie sales rep? Sure. Um, you know, I, I wish I could say I had a great man who taught me it all and it was absolutely amazing. I wish I could say I follow these amazing leaders on LinkedIn to follow their posts. I wish I could say I watched amazing YouTube videos and learned it all. I wish I could say I had these amazing podcasts like this to listen to, but at the time I didn't. Um, what I did have was a manual written by people who had never done the job before in which I took that manual and probably threw it into the garbage because, uh, frankly, it just didn't make any sense um, because – you know, inside there was like this checklist of questions. And and the, the truth is, I'm sure you've been on calls like this or myself as well as a prospect. You can tell when someone's going through like a checklist of questions. We're like, okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. Because you just don't really feel like good or even heard. Um, and early on, I tried this. This is what I did because I didn't know any better. Um, and that was just something I kind of realized. Uh, I didn't really feel good. Um, I, would get, I would get a lot of stalls. I would get ghosted a lot. Uh, I would like never really get a second meeting. Um, and I realized I really, I didn't really have a discovery process. It wasn't really even discovery. I was just asking random arbitrary questions that I thought could help me uh, really present a solution, but it really didn't. All it really did was allow me to maybe drop, you know, share a price at the end. That was really what it was. It was like, hey, I got the, I got the things I need to give you a quote or proposal. And that was it. Very transactional. Uh, over time, when I started realizing this, um, I started realizing pretty quickly, if I could ask better questions up front, I can get better answers. Uh, I can actually get in-depth answers actually would truly serve me that I could actually tie back to their business. And I started realizing if I can make my discovery calls not just transactional, but to be transformational, I could actually hook them a lot more, minimize no-shows, but also take them deeper through the process. And the better I got through my whole discovery process, I started realizing when I, when I do it like hyper effectively, it actually would even make the opportunities even bigger. 
So when I when I when I think about it, I call it the uh, the ten ten eighty rule. Like I believe this. I'm just there's, I don't have real real stats about this. Back, so I'm just I'm just gonna make I made these numbers up. So <laughs> let's, be, let's be clear here. Like, I <laughs> At believe, least he's on. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, it's all it's all made up these numbers. But like I believe like probably ten percent of customers will just never buy. That's just what's going to happen. Like they'll they'll never they'll never ever like invest. In, they just won't do business. That's just they're just stuck in their ways. I believe on the on the other end of the spectrum, the other ten percent will always buy. That's kind of why you see these average reps who, um, you know, they're not that good at the job, but they still close at least ten percent at the very least. And then there's a middle eighty, which can be swayed either way. And there's obviously there's a, there's a huge spectrum. And I just found over time when you can do a really really good discovery. You can sway a lot more than eighty percent to actually buy when you do yeah. a proper discovery. And I, I believe the average reps are still they get that ten percent that's always going to buy, but they also get like the ones that have a really clear, obvious pain. They're like, "Hey, do you have this pain or challenge?" They're like, "Yeah, I do." They're like, "Oh, cool, awesome!" And then they kind of go down that path. But the truth is, if it's a completely cold prospect, most of the time they're not even willing to tell you that. Like they're they're on reserve. Yeah. You know, so that's why it's like, you know, and you, you may disagree dis- or disagree with this, but I do like permission based openers. And when you're when you leave with specific, you know, problems or priorities, but you are also getting only the people that for sure know they have a problem or at least kind of thinking about that. Right. They're, they're like open to it. And then on the, on the flip side, like there's other people who are going to be more reserved. So if I believe if you can do an incredible discovery where. You can take someone who clearly has pains and close them with a three discovery, but also you can take to other people who do not believe they have a pain, do not believe they have an issue, and you can open their minds and show them that they clearly have pain through your discovery and, and help them identify their initiatives and goals, and you can tie your solution to that. You actually start opening up a, a larger amount of process to close and sell into as well because most people are unwilling to do that. And that's actually how my whole framework came, came into place because ultimately it takes an average discovery and makes it actually powerful. And it takes you from being a transactional rep to be actually transformational. And when you when you apply this whole framework to not just SMB, you know, small and mid-sized business, but also to enterprise, your deal velocity skyrockets or it, it, it increases drastically. So to give you a really good example, so like Samantha is, is, is a, one of my clients. For her breaking the SaaS, she only has to use an enterprise account director, brand new into the SaaS role brand new into targeting Fortune 500 companies, we started really hammering this piece down specifically for her because I'm like, it's like it's all made and it's everything, everything is done in the discovery phase. She's at this, at this point, she's already in five months, she's closed 10 enterprise logos. These are Fortune 500, cold to close. Nice. And it's because of the discovery framework. That's what it is. I mean, they actually have a very good product. It's a good company as well. But the discovery framework helps you increase velocity so you can actually get people to take action in an opportunity. That was a really long yeah. answer, but that's there you go. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Just to double click on what you said about the eighty percent. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's it's easy to sell water to people that are really thirsty. You know what I mean? So true. Like right. you're you're always going to have those gimmies. You know, those inbound right. leads or the person you did a send an outbound cold email to that happens yeah. to have that being so. Right. Hundred percent. So let's, let's just, let's start going through the framework. So you have a framework called yeah. it's powerful, right? Is yeah. the name of the framework. Yeah. Um, let's just start unpacking that. So where, where do we get started when we think about discovery? 
Cool. So obviously, like from a structure perspective, you can have your normal, you start the call, you build some rapport, you have your typical upfront agreement. And that's all, that's all, that's pretty normal. We're going to kind of bypass that and go right to the kind of the, the core of it. Um, and really, when we talk about the powerful discovery framework, it's about their beliefs. So when you really think about this, whether it's, uh, doesn't matter if it's B2B, B2C, human, humans, you and I, our process, they're all human, hopefully, right? Um, they are this, they're all wired the same way. And ultimately, whatever the beliefs they have will drive their thoughts, which drive action. So when you understand that, if you can uncover these powerful beliefs in this whole process, this allows you to move the deal a lot faster. And there's depth within each one, all right? Meaning, like, there's different le- levels of each one. Like, you know, there's scale here. Like, being surface level with powerful means nothing. But when you actually go deep within each one, you now suddenly make create momentum and beliefs. So if you can instill these beliefs now in your prospect, they're going to actually take action. Okay. So this is going to be the overall overarching framework, the powerful. And then below that, we're going to have actually have uh, two applications. And then we actually have a third framework below I call RIM to go even deeper. Okay. So I'm going to start with the powerful framework first, if you can kind of structurally understand that. So if we can uncover these core beliefs within the process and this i'll call discovery phase because sometimes it's not just one call it's over multiple calls right that's just the nature of the beast so first off p is pain seems really obvious but uncovering pain and this is not necessarily linear because uh obviously depending on the process if it's inbound lead might the pain might be hot but level of pain okay is there a clear pain that they're dealing with again there's 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 scale one to ten right 10 is massive pain, agony, right? Then there's also like level one pain. It's like, yeah, it's not bad, right? Okay, so that's P. And we'll go through each one. Then we can go, go even deeper within it. So P. Then there's O for, you know, within, uh, within the powerful is opportunity cost. This is a cost of inaction. Having them believe that there is a cost of inaction. Then there's W, wants and desires. This is more usually more ROI-based, return on investment-based. Then there's executive level influence. So that's, you know, decision-making power, process, et cetera. R, resources, meaning access to funds. So not budget here because budgets can be moved. Budget is an arbitrary number made up by people, you know, in accounting, all right? Uh, resources. I want to know funds available, all right? access to capital okay then there's the f fear of failure okay this is doubt and uncertainty about their current situation or vendor then there is you unequivocal trust that's in the company in the solution in you as a sales professional in the leadership etc and then the l you find this funny the little stuff and that's like just maybe the specifications that you you gotta get anyways Maybe it's like how many users, how many employees, whatever, how many seats, how many licenses, all all those things, requirements for the software to get built out, whatever. Those are all little things. So that's a whole overall framework. And if you can get someone to be a level 10 in their belief, they believe all, they believe I got massive pain. I know, I believe there's a a massive opportunity cost. I have these massive initiatives and goals and I believe this can help me get there. I believe I have influence on influence and decision-making power. I believe we have resources to get money, actually get this, to make this happen. 
I believe I fit a fear of failure that what we're doing is not working and I can't keep doing what we're already doing. I believe I have trust in everyone and I believe you can take, you can, you can meet all the needs that we need for even from a technical perspective. If you have all those for every decision maker, your deal is going to freaking roll. It'll move pretty fast. Okay. Let me pause for a second. That's powerful. Got it. So when you think about, so once we do our upfront contract, where do you usually like to start the conversation after that? Mm. And I know that it could go in a bunch of different directions, but what do you typically like to open up with? What part of this framework do you, do you like to get started with? Good. So great question. So, um, the thing is about human beings, um, is there's, there's really two ways to go, right? There's, um, the application one, which is what I call lead with pain. Mm-hmm. There's application two, lead with gain. Okay. So gains like, you know, a, a want, desire or something else. And it, it dep- there's, it depends kind of on the background of the situation. So there's different ways to lead. You're still going to end up hitting all these kind of core components and not seen as linear, but like, it's like, can I hit all these pieces within my discovery phase? All right. Because if, if you know, like application number one, lead with pain, that's more so, you know, they have a pain. Like it's been like admitted to you. This could be anything. This is usually like you get that inbound lead and they have any notes in their, in their form. You're like, all right, cool. Like, um, you know, uh, we have to say if I sell customer ticketing software, uh, yeah, like, you know, we're using like, we're using like Zapier and like this is our Gmail account and we're like taking notes on Google Sheets and like we're losing, like it's a whole issue. Like cl- clearly there's pain. So I'm going to lead with pain. Okay. Um, that's where I'm going to start. Now on the flip side, if it's completely cold and you don't, you don't really know, it's not really clear, or maybe even the email lead is really unclear, I'm going to lead with a gain. Okay. So, and we're, we'll still eventually tie back to pain, but it, it makes the conversation a little bit easier. Or if I gauge them to be like a little bit reserved and they're a little bit hesitant. All right. Now, before, so after the upfront contract, and depends, if, I'm assuming if you maybe, if you haven't done any personal poor building yet, then I, I like to insert a couple of personal poor questions first, just kind of, to kind of some softballs, kind of warm them up a little bit, right? You know, which might be as simple as if you did, if you did your homework, hey, you know, first off, you know, I, I did a little bit of homework and I saw you've been with company X for, you know, 15 years. That's absolutely incredible. What, what got you, what got you to start the business? It's one or two easy softball questions, kind of warm them up a little bit. Okay. They're like, oh, okay. Now that this person's paying attention to me, okay, interesting. All right. Then after a couple, you might need a deep dive or you might be able to spin off a little bit, but the key is don't spend too much time and like if it's not going to be useful or valuable for either you or them. Now, let's say, for example, if it's lead with pain, let's just like maybe, maybe it's an inbound lead. So that's what I'm going to start with first. So with a pain piece, those are pretty easy realistically. So, and you can reference whatever, how you know it. So, hey, so based on the form you filled out, uh, you know, you reached out to us. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about this challenge you're running into? Boom. Just wait. Just let them tell you. Okay. And they're going to start, they're going to start just telling you whatever is going on. All right. Now, the thing is, um, this is, this is a mistake I see a lot of reps make is they get some pain. Look, check. Got it. So for, for example, they say, let's just, let's use, use the same example, ticketing software. Um, the, the prospect says something like, oh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a pain. Like, oh, man, like, 
Uh, we have this one shared like uh, Google account for like, you know, support at companyx.com. And it's kind of, you, know, it, you know, we're all kind of checking it. We're on a team of five and that's kind of a pain. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not kind of clunky. And we're looking for like, a solution that also has like an, an AI chatbot or something. That'd be, that'd be kind of cool as well. And the average rep's like, oh, cool. That's pain. Oh, God, got it, got it, got it. That is pain. You're right. Um, with a little yeah. bit of want. But there's no depth to it. There's no depth to it. So we want to dive a little deeper. Okay. So this is actually where um, this is the sub framework here. Okay. This is a sub framework within the framework that I call RIM. The relevance, the impact, the motive. The relevance, the impact, the motive. I want to know why is this relevant? What's the impact? And what's the motive behind it? Okay, and that won't all apply for every single situation, but for this one example, this this doesn't make a lot of sense. So, for instance, here now instead of just saying "check, cool, got it, cool," like what, what would you like? What what type? Of, what would you like to see with the chat software? You know, that's cool. What's your budget? Like that's very average. Go deep. This is where we start pulling that thread. We have a little bit of a thread here, and now we're gonna start chunking down, go a little bit deeper. You say, awesome, Jason. That, that, thank you so much for sharing that. Can you tell me a little bit more about how your how you get to actually manage in that inbox. Get them to start telling you. They might, they'll, they're going to tell you whatever. Like, oh, man, like, well, you know, you know, rep one checks it. And they're supposed to, like, you know, mark that they, they, they checked it by, lead, you know, by, you know, making sure it's marked as, like, you know, red. And then they're supposed to, like, create a task or follow up here. Like, whatever they let them tell you. Because now you're able to start creating some more dialogue about how, either number, how much time it's taking What's happening, you know, hey, cool. So because you guys are doing that, obviously it's not working. How's it impacting the customers now? Well, uh, we, 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 we don't follow up. So what happens when we don't follow up? Well, they get pissed. So what happens when they're getting pissed at you guys? Oh, man, it's like, I mean, they'll quit us. Got it. Again, not, that's still that's better than most people. Go deeper. Wow, that sounds, that sounds pretty terrible. So... What's your churn rate like? People are asking questions like this. What's your churn rate like? Like how many customers yeah. are you losing a month because of this? Oh man, like we're losing at least like at least five a month. Okay, so that's, now you get more painful, all right? Go even deeper. Now we know the impact. Go even deeper now. So five a month. Wow, okay, cool. So what is the MRR, uh, you know, what's, what's the ARR, you know, for you know, per one customer. Oh, it's like 5k, 5k. Wow. So five customers, 5k a month. Wow. So five. So that's really, if you think about it, that's like 25k a month, 25k a month times, you know, whatever, whatever that mental math is times 12, whatever that number is, you know, we'll call it around over $300,000. So it's literally cost you over $300,000 because you guys simply are not able to manage effectively your support tickets. Hmm. So now you've noticed here, now we actually we're getting some COI now, some cost of inaction. So now yeah. you're able to leverage this at a deep level. Now most reps aren't asking this deep. So wow. So with that being said, how does it impact you now when you kind of map when you kind of map this out that because of your current system, it's actually costing you really upwards of three hundred K plus? Oh man. Not not good. Not good. Like how's it impact your, your company? 
Now we're going we're going to you're going super deep now, and we're tying specific things. So you're taking somebody what seems so arbitrary, but the truth is, it's actually costing them with real numbers. You know, and yeah. you can go in, and, and there's so many angles you can go here, Jason, because you can, even if you go into how much time they're wasting or whatever, and employees and at the number of hours, what else could they be doing? There's opportunity costs are there. So, so that's that's the overall kind of framework. But you start diving deep, like what does that mean? How what's the impact? And the more you can, you can break it down to a granular level of actually tying even numbers to it, that becomes wildly powerful. Okay. And if you could do this across the board for all the decision makers, this is very, very crazy. It gets to the next level. So does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I, I call this like the kind of three-part discovery framework mm-hmm. I work with. It's like connect, quantify, and then lead. So mm-hmm. this is the quantify part. Yes. You're getting them to quantify the problem or if it's a goal, getting them to quantify in numbers, That's right. making it a smart goal, right? 100%. Is this specific? 100%. Is it, can you measure it? You know, that kind of thing. So, okay. A couple of things here, cause this is where I see and hear reps getting stuck or having like kind of mental blocks around this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the questions that you asked, oftentimes what I'll hear is a fear of these impact based questions sounding too obvious. Yeah. Well, what's the impact of losing five customers? What would you say to a rep that's worried about asking that because the prospect might give them a, well, no shit, Sherlock, that's, that's not good, you yeah. know, kind of thing. What would you say totally. to a rep? Like, so I'd be pretty simple. I'd say, hey, what, what would be the absolute worst thing that could happen if you ask that question to get pissed? Like, what would happen? They do not buy. They ghost you. That's going to happen anyways. <laughs> yeah. So you can only really gain from that. I mean, and, and the truth is, is you, you'll see, and, and, you know, I just use some simple language here, but what's also important to understand here is you have to have the emotional intelligence when you're in a sales process to adjust it to fit the prospect too. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, as you and I both know, these are just frameworks, right? Like it's not about, let me, okay, let me write down these questions that Marcus is asking, say in verbatim. That's not the point. <laughs> the, the point is, is like when you're hitting these, the powerful framework and you're going down the rim, how can you make it relevant? How can you talk about the impact? How can you, how can you uncover the motive behind it? That's where the power comes when you understand, when you understand it versus, you know, asking a question, which may seem kind of obvious. And we start thinking this way, when you understand a framework, then you're able to move around it and truly understand it. And that's where it's also really important as well, when you're asking these questions as a sales professional, you can't waver in conviction and confidence. Because yeah. if you ask them, you sound kind of like, you know, weak. You're like, like the first time you ever asked it. So like, um, uh, how do you think that uh, impacts you? They'll be like, <laughs> whoo. Uh, um, <laughs> It doesn't. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. And then you <laughs> like, single, oh, right? So, so there, there, yeah. there's, a, there's a level of confidence conviction you have to have to actually do this as well. And, yeah. and sometimes it's like, and here's the thing. So you'll see sometimes, this is, great, this is such a great question too, because sometimes you'll have prospects who are defensive. Yeah, that's what's, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, so w- how do you deal with a prospect that's, what I always tell people is that, there is inherent shame in admitting weakness. Most people do not like to admit weakness to someone who's basically a complete stranger. Because wow. now I have to admit to you that things aren't going well. And 
you know, I know you well enough, Marcus, that if I'm struggling with something in my business, I feel comfortable sharing that, but I wouldn't feel mm-hmm. comfortable sharing that to another like coach or trainer in the industry that I don't know that well. I wouldn't right. just start talk, like unloading on my problems. That's yeah. like, I want them, I want to appear as if I have my shit together. Cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and prospects right. are like that. So how do you kind of think about doing this in a way that gets people to want to share this stuff or feel comfortable? you know, sharing this stuff versus, oh, you're just asking me this so you can sell me. Such a great question because um, this is where I'm a firm believer, you know, the devil's in the details. Um, Because when you think about this, every time you're interacting with that prospect is an opportunity to either um, gain trust or remove trust, right? So this is where even when when you're first making an app on call to them, how are you showing up? How prepared are you? Because they're going to determine. That's why when you use a thing called the priority drop, I love the priority drop you know, method you teach because you're showing you know them. You understand their business, yeah. that you actually did your homework because you understand their ICP. So when you do that, you're like, you already show up like, I know you. Like, in fact, I probably, I probably know you better than you know yourself because I've talked to literally dozens of people in your industry. So, so understand that that trust piece is not just from the question you ask and the discovery. Everything you do either will add or remove from your trust. So that's why it's key that everything you do from the, the initial outright outreach on the phone, on the email, to anything you send beforehand, just looks on your game that you actually are a professional. Like this is the difference between a sales rep versus a sales pro. So when you do all these things, uh, that only helps tr- gain trust. And then once you're actually on the call, are you also doing things immediately to help gain trust? This is the stuff like it's like the faster you can gain trust, it makes it much easier when you get into these tougher questions because they're they're making quick judgments about you from the like if it's Zoom, once a Zoom call is on, they're judging you very quickly. Like, what's your body language like? What's the lighting like? What what are you what are you wearing? What's your background like? How are you showing up? How prepared do you look? What's your what's your level of conviction and confidence? How are you controlling the conversation? They're making very quick judgments, very fast. So all those things, um, I believe, really impacts the point when you're actually asking those questions. So you have to like earn your right to ask those questions by doing these things up front. And when you start thinking this way, this allows you to have a better discovery. Now, does that mean they'll never be like they'll never be like standoffish and be defensive? No, not at all. I mean, you're still gonna have people who are still defensive, right? Uh, but the, my point is, is like do like everything will either increase your win rate or decrease it. So do the things up front to help increase your win rate. And then let's just say if they are still like defensive or whatever, or if you sense it, I mean, if you have, this is where you have to have your spidey sense and you have to have decent emotional intelligence. Like you're like, how are they, how are they answering the first layer of questions? Is it like, I'm good. So what do you want to show me? So you, you can already sense it already, how you might need to adjust your style a little bit. Okay. Um, and if I sense them to be, to be that point, they're being defensive. I think it's very, very important that I incorporate as much as possible any type of subtle social proof or make them feel that they're not alone. Okay. So, for example, here, let's use that same example to kind of keep it consistent for this podcast. So, you want to ask the questions about the impact, et cetera. And they're kind of telling you a little bit, yeah, we're, we're just doing this email. They kind of give you kind of surface level still. So now you can you can just share a customer quick customer story. Don't share a success story. Don't be like, "Well, hey, I'm glad you brought that up, Jason." So, uh, you know, my my customer Marcus 
also had the same issue with his Gmail account as well. And then we solved it with our solution. Well, that's super salesy. They're going to kick you right off. They don't want to talk to you. But your goal here is not to sell them. Your goal here is to gain their trust so you can get the truth. Because only when you get the truth can you work with the truth. So that might sound something like, okay, well, first off, Jason, thank you so much for sharing that. Be humble. Watch your tonality. I I really, really appreciate that. Now, um, you know, one of the things when, you know, I was working with Marcus, who's also another consultant as well, you know, one of the things, because he actually was using Google as well, funny enough, um, and he had several, you know, several CSR, customer service reps, inside there too, and they're trying to market on Red do all these things. One of the things they actually ran into was um, they would actually, you know, for not get back to certain customers, and that those kind of happened. Then as a result, they would actually lose customers, you know. Not not like a crazy, but they would lose some customers. For you guys, how are you guys dealing that, dealing with that right now? Okay. Yeah. Softer tone, and I'll use some trust-based language, and I'll make it a little more casual, and I'll kind of almost like position them upwards a little bit just to get them to trust me. Cause I need them to trust me more. So they feel comfortable talking. Like I'm sure we have the situation, all those conversations where um, I'll give you an example. So uh, I remember we had this really, really big opportunity. It was back in corporate America. We were trying to close. It, it, was, it was a couple million dollars. And it was in the first discovery. We're sitting on the CEO. We're sitting on the CEO. Very, like, it, was, it was like my rep and I just, I can just very just, standoffish right just like one word answers one word answers right so um you know the rep was trying that i just took over and i had it like there was an ego there right this yeah. guy is thinking here's a couple of, like some rookie reps trying to come sell me whatever you know so i had to do basically what i told you diffuse the situation put them in power if you will soften the language soften the tone get them at ease and you know at the end of the discovery like you can just like sense this guy's like resistance kind of slowly dissipate as discovery went on because now we're actually asking deep insightful questions and we're inserting in kind of subtly some of these things well i was and then it opened them up so by the end of it this guy's like slap on the back tell us to come back and like you know come at one of his restaurants have some beers with him and stuff right we eventually closed a couple months later but that's kind of my point. Like, it's just like you have to use these as frameworks, but you got to read the situation and adjust the framework and the question to analogy to fit the situation. Yeah. I love that advice too around getting people to open up either through some sort of social proof or a peer story. I mean, I did that. This is maybe three or four weeks ago on a call. And I was kind of running into that. And I was like, this is kind of weird. It happens every now and then where I'm like, oh, this person just doesn't seem to want to really open up about this. And I just shared a story about how, you know, this other client was dealing with something where they couldn't get their reps to start higher at the C-suite when they would do outbound and sales cycles were longer than they should be. And they weren't able to multi-thread the way they wanted. And he, and the guy responded with, have you been like a fly on the wall in our zoom meetings or something? This is exactly what we're dealing with, you know? and, And I think that's really important. Like you said, to, let the prospect know that they're not alone, especially an executive who, mm-hmm. you know, any executive is going to have a, a decent ego, you know, about well, them, especially you, in the you, company. You bring up such a great point. This is like the the discovery phase or, you know, call or phase. It's just, those are just meetings. Um, but when you look yeah. at it as a whole, when you, and I know you talk a lot about this as well, especially for outbound, but when you know your ideal customer profile inside and out, it helps you not just with your messaging, but also the actual discovery call. Oh, like big time. Under, 
right, understanding, you know, like what's like what's really on their mind, what are their 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 dreams, wants, desires, really secretly fear. When you actually understand them inside and out, you're able to leverage that all throughout, not just in your original copy or your script, but you can use it to help you gain trust. Like when you're able, like when they basically are saying wow, Jason, are you in my head? <laughs> are you reading my mind? Are you behind my shoulder? Then you're like, boom, because you know him so well. But the way you get to that point is you do the work up front. So you set yourself up to win versus you come in blind, but hey, what do you guys do here? Like, what, what kind of business do you got? <laughs> like, they're going to kick you out. They're not going to care, especially the large opportunities that you go after. Yeah. So do you find, uh, as a part of this framework, do you want to prepare and think about, hey, what are the most common two or three goals or gains might someone have the most two or three common problems that might be getting in the way? Are you kind of coming into a lot of these discovery calls already knowing a bit of that? I know it depends on what you're selling and who you're selling to, but are you looking for those patterns and are you able to offer up some suggestions? Hey, I don't know if you're dealing with this, but I was talking to a client who had you know XYZ problem. How do you guys deal with that? Are you are you having some of that so you can suggest some things to at least get the conversation started and demonstrate some business acumen and that kind of thing at the same time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think there's many ways. And I think it's a great one for as a great example right there, right? I mean, if you meet me with a major a major organization, and you know you you know you read their 10k reports, or if maybe they're privately held, so you read some other industry ones that are the same industry and their key initiatives, and it's common across the board. That's that's good stuff to bring up as well, to kind of guide it as well. Now, um, I think there's also a balance where you just don't make it like. Uh, you, a yes or no. Ideally, you can make it a little more open ended, right? So, for example, hey, you know, uh, you know, based on a little bit of research I did in advance, you know, just to make sure I, I came properly prepared for you, Jason. You know, I, you know, I saw, uh, you know, in the industry specifically, some key initiatives are going to be uh, safety, uh, growth, and retention of customers. You know, not sure if these are the same for you, but for you, what will be your major initiative for this coming year? All right, yeah. you're kind of inserting it, but you're also like making it a little bit open-ended as well. So this way, they don't get kind of trapped inside there. But I think on the flip side, if they don't know those those answers, you're probably meeting too low too low of a level. Yeah, when your deal's in a stall, right? So that's why I think it's important to to be able to do that. Um, and I think also when we talk about you know even the W, the wants and desires and initiatives and stuff like that, the ROI. You, you, I think you bring up a really, really good point there, whether whether you intend to or not. I believe a lot of reps go for real like surface level, like you know, wants and desires, which is like I want to solve this problem, right? Um, versus being able to tie to something greater, right? To t- the key initiative, and that's a mistake a lot of people make. So, for example, if I'm back to the ticketing software piece, it's like, hey, yeah, we want a um, uh, a, a ticketing software that's going to make so make it so we don't lose like you know support tickets. That, that's a, that's a real surface level want they're going to solve. But if you can tie to a bigger initiative, hey, so uh, we want the t- this ticketing software to you know make it we don't lose support tickets, so we can, we can keep customers, but more importantly, generate an additional three hundred thousand dollars in revenue that we would have lost, which will help us grow our company, make it more profitable. Oh, okay. Now it's like there's some bigger connections there, 
right? So being able to understand the full connection is so vital versus just solving a surface level issue. Yeah. And then you have something to position your offer against where it's like, no, this is a $300,000 per month thing that you're trying to fix for our solution that costs $30,000. 100%. So now yeah. you have price, price, you know, you have a context of price comparisons right there. So now it's like, yeah. well, the reason why we charge more everyone else, why we have a, I don't know, a 50K setup fee and also, you know, 30K for the year, it's, it's 80K total, is because you're going to get 4X the, the return on it, is why. That's why you have it versus, yeah. uh, oh my God, this is so expensive. You know, and we, we can go do this software over here for way cheaper. Now you're just like, you're comparing like apples oranges yeah i think this is so important too because this is this this helps you tell the story better too and it helps you help your champion tell the story better too where it doesn't just come as this oh marcus wants us to buy this thing that's two hundred thousand dollars from this company no it's what we learned is that this is actually costing us two million dollars a year in ARR because we're losing these customers doing this thing and we need to do the solution. It's like, it's a very different story that gets 100%. told. It's like, we're not making my life easier by bringing this in. We're making the company some fucking money, right. <laughs> you know, you, you nailed it. Cause so many times, cause it's easy to be the low level manager. So the, uh, an average rep is selling the, 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 the solving the symptom, but they're not tying to mm-hmm. the bigger thing. So that low level manager goes to their boss. Hey, can we invest 90 K or 80 K on this, on this? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. That's happens. exactly what happens. Yeah. I want to ask you with the quantifying part, God, this is just the number one missed opportunity. This is what I, this, this is what people just never do. Mm-hmm. When we're asking those questions, how many customers are you losing per month? What's that? You know, what's the MRR on those customers looks like this. When you go through that exercise with the prospect in your experience in doing this and teaching it, how often do you find that the prospect has already gone through that exercise themselves versus literally going through it for the first time on the call with you? So I think it depends on a few things. So if you're meeting like a lower level manager, it, mm-hmm. unless they are um, what I call a T-shaped operator versus a, a single a singular promoter, right? So typically a promoter is like they're like a department head. They're good at one thing. In this example, I'm a head of customer success. I understand one thing, you know, like taking care of customers, getting rid of support tickets, et cetera. That's like their one thing. When you have a T-shaped manager, if you can see my hands as a T-shape, T-shape means you're very good at one thing, but you understand the whole business as a whole. So you understand how, how it all connects together. It's rare to have a T-shaped manager. Like it's rare for them to understand how everything ties together because they're usually focused on their own KPIs, their own metrics. So typically lower-level managers don't make that big connection. They just know, hey, I have this big problem. How do I solve it? This is my issue. Can you help me solve it? So usually for those ones, you have to walk them through that. If you're if you meet with an executive, they if, if they know there's an issue, there's a pain, big pain already, they may have already mentally mapped it. And they may have additional cost of action already tied to it as well. However, if they're far removed, they don't really, really know, then you have to help help them understand how it ties to their overall initiative as well. So it depends on the situation, but I'll say most of the time, they really haven't really thought to that same level. Like they might be like, I have this issue, and then it's, it's bad. I should probably solve it, right? They're trying to solve a core issue. 
versus like they're trying to solve a core issue versus a root pain or an, a root cause. Yeah. Okay. One other question. I find something very similar, by the way. One other question around this. I've closed a lot of deals where we didn't really need to do this part, which is interesting. And I think it's it's hard for me to use myself as a sample size because if someone's been listening to my podcast and seeing my content on LinkedIn and they come and hop on a sales call with me and they've known me for a year, basically, and I'm meeting them for the first time, there's a lot of trust there, 100%. right? Where it's just like, hey, what does it cost? And okay, that sounds about right. And then kind of moving forward. My hunch is that that's, that's more the exception than the rule. But in your experience, you know, especially I'm thinking more enterprise stuff, stuff that's, you know, on the low end, six figures, you know, plus 100K plus. How important is this part to do every time to have it quantified out and have the numbers and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm always a mindset like uh, you have to like prepare for the worst, expect the best. Right, like you walk into a situation like it's completely cold, like so that way, if you if you need to utilize it as part of it when you present your offer, your solution, you're able to really back it up. Um, yeah. And when and we when you think this way, you're being proactive, because I find it is so much harder if you didn't do it, and then you say, "Hey, cool, it's like 200k." They're like, "Oh my gosh, I thought this would be like 100k. You're double than expected." They're like, "There's yeah. this is like you lose momentum." And suddenly it's like then you had trying to trying to backtrack, you're trying to defend your price and all that stuff, versus if they are sold that their problem that they have, that the value far exceeds the actual price point, it's not as big of a deal. You actually have less objections. Right. So that's how that's my mindset. I'd much rather be proactive versus reactive. And when you think this way, it's it helps make it a little bit easier. So for here's another example. So this is like this tie, this is across the board. Like this is where it's about the depth of everything. So even when we share the whole the whole powerful you know framework, going deep is so key. So for example, one of the things that uh, I see that people just really miss um, a lot, which causes deals to stall. Let's just let's just talk about like even when I go to the L, the little stuff specifications. Like I, I've seen it where a rep will end up having to run multiple meetings. Like literally like five, 10, 15 minutes just to get get what they need to put together pricing. That's yeah. wild to me. Like, and, and and as you know, every time you have a meeting, things just kind of stall out. Like it's like it takes a little yeah. bit longer to get, get, get schedules coordinated, different people, who, whoever's going to be. So that is a huge waste of time first off. And suddenly that deal is like go even longer. But when you when you think, okay, cool, like what if – like if this is like if this is like a if this is basically an objection to close, which is like I don't have my stuff to like get to basically put together numbers, then why don't I just do as much as I can up front? Like what are all things I would need to make sure I could properly you know price it out? All right, cool. Let me just do my best to get it all set up now and kind of get those you know like it may not be that you like get rid of all the extra meetings, but if you can take it from like seven meetings to like three meetings, you just save a lot of time because you're you're just being proactive as all. It's the same thing with, uh, for example, with the executive level influence. Like on the first first call, are you figuring out what that looks like? Are you mapping the whole strategy to work the account? Or are you like, oh, cool, there's a CEO, there's like a CTO, and then we got to get the CFO involved. You're like, oh, cool, I got the information, and then you just leave it at that. 
Or do you have a strategy now you should work with a champion to see how do you get them involved at the right time to ensure yeah. this deal actually moves forward versus like, oh, cool, we'll get them at the very end and they'll give you the price and you go to them and then, then you decide and it, you ghost me. So again, like the more proactive you are in your approach, the better control you can have on the deal. Doesn't mean you'll close every deal. Doesn't mean every deal is going to shorten. But at the very least, I'm a firm believer, uh, whether you close a deal or not, if you know you've done everything possible, you did a great job. That's all that matters because there's, there's many uncontrollables in the, deal, in, the, in the deal cycle. So you can only control what you can control. So, for example, just like diving in deep and getting the numbers and getting the quantifiable pain. Got it. Dude, we're out of time, man. This has oh, been geez. great. <laughs> we, uh, wow. yeah. I, uh, uh, I got three quick uh, rapid fire yeah. questions for you. Ready? Yeah, 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 I'm ready. All right. So this first one's. Uh, related to outbound. So if you had to choose between phone, email, and social, what do you pick and why? Mm, well, okay, I think it depends on the ICP, but I'll say phone. Uh, I'm all about the phone. Um, and the reason I like phone personally is just because, um, well, frankly, with the phone, I mean, shoot, I, I like to hear an objection. I, if I get an objection via a DM or whatever, I can't overcome something if they don't respond. If they get an, an objection via email, same thing. But phone, I can leverage my tonality, my energy, overcome an objection, asking deep questions, and show them I'm of equal status. Yep. What's something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? What do most people believe about sales? What do I believe about sales? Most hmm, that's a good question. I guess getting pads because like I feel like really good sales leaders kind of think the same way. They believe the same thing. Mm. Oh, okay, I hear, here's here's one. Um, I don't know if it's really. I mean, it's overall about sales. I would say uh, read less books and follow less people on LinkedIn, like influencers. And, and the reason I say that, and I think you can appreciate this, especially since you're in the game, there's a lot of really bad books out there. There's a lot of really bad people out there putting out really bad advice. And ultimately, I believe what happens is when you absorb too many too many sources of information. It makes it harder for you to decide what should I do, what should I not do, especially if they conflict. And a lot of times when you look at a post or whatever, that's just for a, a, a situation that's not every situation. So I'm a firm believer you're better off like choosing a few of them and going all in on their mythology and the way they think. And that's going to help you become a better version of you, especially if you're new. As you become more found, foundationally found in your frameworks, then you can add other ones on. So for example, like if you follow Jason, keep following Jason, but there's other people out there that frankly, they're kind of full of BS and they're, they're, what they share will actually hurt you. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Hmm. Uh, so my advice would be, uh, well, number one, well, I'll give you some few pieces. Number one, get get a mentor as soon as possible. Um, but a specific mentor, someone who's uh, done the job successfully, wildly successfully, wildly well, over and over and over, that has a repeatable way to teach you. And the, and the reason I say it is because that's stuff I wish I knew early on. And I try to take advice from everyone, and everyone gives you bad advice. Like the worst rep always wants to give you advice. Hey, don't do this. Like, well, you're the worst advice. It's like getting, it's like getting advice from an out of shape trainer. That just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so definitely surround yourself with the right mentors. Uh, number two, um, always play the long game. 
always play the long game. Learn how to delay that self-gratification. Don't chase that short win, that, that quick like quick close. Play the long game so that you do things right. So you serve customers and you serve prospects effectively versus trying to push for a close, get a discount to close for the end of the month. Do things, play the long game because you'll feel better and so will your customers uh, as well. And then three, everything takes longer. Like I wish you could say, hey, tomorrow you start doing these things, you'll have immediate success. Everything takes longer than you think and focus on mastering your process versus like quick tactics. Focus on strategy and long-term things are going to pay you long-term dividends regardless of the economy, regardless of the market, regardless of whatever you sell. I love it, dude. And where can people go to connect with you to learn more about what you got going on? Awesome, brother. So uh, you head over to my website, sixfiguresalesacademy.com or venlyconsulting.com or find me on LinkedIn. Send me a message as well. All those work.